So, before we jump into Daniel this morning, I'm really confused about where everybody is. Do you think they all went to the Toby Mac concert in Phoenix last night? And they're just too tired to get here? I don't know. So do me a favor. Wonder where your friends are. And when you get home, give them a call and, and ask them if they're okay. And if they say yes, yell at them. <laughs> and if they say no, pray for them. All right, so we're in Daniel chapter 6. And uh, we're going through the book, not chapter by chapter, but major story by major story. Really cool, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into that amazing vision that Daniel has of the four beasts with that multiple horns and heads. If you've ever read through Daniel, you got in there and you probably went, what is this? Well, next week and the following week, you're going to know. We're going to look at it in some detail, and I think it's going to be a good time. But today, we're in the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. Let me give you a little background to that. But before I do that, I want to tell you about a movie I saw not too long ago. Uh, Jose mentioned it to me, so I went home and I put it on Netflix. It was called Atlas Shrugged. And I watched it, and it wasn't like a well-made movie, but it was a good movie because the storyline was good. The acting wasn't the greatest, but it was okay. It was entertaining. And after I watched it, a commercial came on for Atlas Shrugged Part 2 at the movie theater. I thought, well, how cool is that? So... I watched Atlas Shrug, and then I went to the movie theater and watched part two. And so I thought this was really cool, until they ended it without ending it. It's like, no, there's going to be a part three? No! I would have never gone if I didn't think the story was going to wrap up. Atlas, you know the guy who holds up the world? Atlas Shrugged, as if, you know, earthquake or causes upheaval or something. That's the name of it. Interesting story. It's about, like, a socialism takeover of the United States of America. And one of the heroes of the story is a guy named Reardon, Henry Reardon. And he comes up with a new kind of steel. It's lighter, stronger, and much cheaper to make. And while the government's trying to take over all industry, because the economy is on the brink of collapse, something that would never happen to this economy, <laughs> they come to him and say, we're taking over everything. Sign us over Reardon Steel. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, you know we can take it by force. He said, go ahead, but I'm not going to give you my formula. And they were like at a standstill. Go government couldn't take his company because he had the secret to the formula of the new steel. So eventually, the government comes up to him and says, we want the company, he says, over my dead body. And then the guy pulls out one of those manila envelopes. You know, you see him in all the movies with pictures in them. And he takes out pictures of him with this woman. Him kissing her, him hugging her, not his wife. Give us the company or these go public. He says, I don't care. My relationship with my wife was over years ago. Do your worst. He said, I know you don't care, but what about her reputation, the other woman in the photos? You know she's a heroine to so many young ladies in this country. If this gets public, what will happen to them? He says, give me the paper. And he signs over Reardon Steele. The story of blackmail is nothing new. It features in a lot of books and movies. But it features in real life, too. So I thought, you know, that was a cool story, but let me come up with a, a current example, a real one. So I Googled blackmail famous people. And one of the first stories that came up was 
a story about a young, attractive, up-and-coming actress. And she decided, like a lot of these actresses do, to have some nude photos taken. But she didn't publish them. She held on to them. And then she got discovered, and a huge movie was ready to come out that she starred in. Uh, You know her name, Cameron Diaz. And when she was ready to become this big person, the photographer got in touch with her and said, I'm going to expose you. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) Unless you give me three and a half million dollars. Blackmail. Well, fortunately, she called the police. They caught the guy, and he's in prison. But one of the things I realized is, you know, if Reardon hadn't committed adultery, they would have had no hooks in him. And if she hadn't taken revealing pictures, they would have had no hooks in her. It seems like blackmail is the tool of people who use our sin against us. Sin often has unintended consequences. I'm sure if somebody told Cameron Diaz, hey, you take these pictures, in a few years they're going to be used to blackmail you, she would have never taken them. Or she would have said, yeah, sure, right. Or, I don't care. We don't think. We don't think. So let me give you this little warning before we get into Daniel, and I'll rehash it later on. Sin has unintended consequences. I love throwing a rock into a still pond. It's just so cool to watch that first kerplunk and then watch the whole pond get disturbed by that little rock. I think sin is like that. It just goes and goes and goes, and you have no idea what's going to end up happening from it. I'm thinking about this because Daniel starts off with a similar situation. Daniel, remember, he was captive. He was uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came to Jerusalem, took a bunch of political prisoners, shipped them off to uh, Babylon. Daniel was one of them. Uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a remarkable dream, and Daniel was given the interpretation of it. Daniel was also very smart and very competent. And so he became second only to Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon, which is amazing. Amazing. Well, Nebuchadnezzar died. Maybe his grandson down the road becomes Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, we saw last week, elevated Daniel to the third place in the kingdom after he and his father, who were co-regents. Well, the Babylonians fell. The Persians took over. Now, Darius, who's head of the Persian Empire set up 120 governors over his entire province. So the entire nation, which was huge, bigger than the United States. I mean, it was huge. 120 governors. Three over them. Daniel was one of the three. And because Daniel was so amazing, Darius decided to make him over those other two. He was going to make him the number one man in the entire empire, second only to Darius. Well, when the other guys heard this, they got really upset. Why? I don't know. Maybe they they were jealous. I don't want to be number one. Or maybe they realized with a man of integrity as number one, watching the books, they wouldn't be able to do any funny stuff and rip off the king. I don't know. I just know that they were so upset they decided to kill Daniel. So they went looking for skeletons in his closet, something to hold over him, to get him pulled out of that position, but they couldn't find anything. Let me read to you from Daniel 6. Now, Daniel was so distinguished. He so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. 
but they were unable to do so. They couldn't find any dirt on him. Imagine you want to go find dirt on a politician in the United States. How hard that's going to be. <laughs> it's like, it's easy. In fact, who was it? The head of the CIA just resigned, didn't he? Because they, he, was, he had an affair. Same type of thing. It happens all the time. Finding dirt on our government officials isn't always that hard to do. But Daniel was above reproach. They looked. They couldn't find anything. Because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. He was a good man. So here's a piece of a solid advice. Dishonesty makes it evil, easy for evil people to put their hooks in you. If you walk in integrity, if you're above reproach, then they don't got anything to grab a hold of. They can't blackmail you. There's nothing to hold over your head. Do what I say or I'm going to tell the whole world that you're good and nice. Ooh. You see, if you're just living an upright life, there's nothing they can grab a hold of. But that doesn't mean they won't still come after you. So they figured with Daniel, you know, there's really nothing to do, so we're going to have to make something up. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Because Daniel was known for being upright, capable, and faithful to the God of Israel. Now, he lives in Babylon and the, the Medo-Persian Empire, not in Israel. Different religion. Maybe we can find something in his religion that's bad, and then we can expose him. They couldn't find anything that's bad with our religion. So they had to make a law against our religion so Daniel could break it. That's what they decided to do. They realized that three times a day, Daniel would go up to his room, probably sat right next to the palace, he would open his windows towards Jerusalem. He'd get down on his knees and he would pray three times a day. I'm almost certain it was morning, noon, and night. Why? Because in Jerusalem, before it fell, in the morning the sacrifices were made, at noon the sacrifices were made, and at night the sacrifices were made. So Daniel was probably praying towards that place where sacrifices used to be made, looking forward to the day that the temple would be rebuilt, and honoring God with his prayer. So the administrators went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators have all agreed. No, they didn't. They didn't bring Daniel. Daniel was not part of this. This was a conspiracy. The royal administrators have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O King Darius, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O King, issue the decree and put it in writing. Let me tell you a little something about that word that they do, O. O King, O King. We don't use that in English. But it's something in Hebrew that we don't know how to put into English. In the Hebrew, it's kind of like a placating word. When you're talking to somebody and you want something of them and you're asking in a nice way. We don't have a word for that. So they just put it into O. So when you see O, oftentimes in the Bible, there's something going on in the Hebrew to let you know that you're asking in a placating way. Kind of like, not begging, but that kind of a thing. You're just being subservient. Um, now, O king, issue the decree 
and put it in writing so that, that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repealed. So here's Darius. Oftentimes, as you know, ancient rulers were considered deity anyway. So how honored do you think he felt? Hey, all my leaders want me to be God for 30 days. Hey, that's cool. I'm in. Where do I sign? <laughs> I know. It's for, to us, it's just like, you're kidding me, right? Remember unintended consequences? Darius loved Daniel. Darius wanted to make Daniel his number two man in the entire kingdom. He didn't know about Daniel's three-time prayer thing. He didn't care. He just knew he was going to be God for 30 days, and it was good to him. Well, it, that's a sin, a big sin, idolatry and arrogance and pride. If he had said no, nothing would have ever happened to Daniel. But because he said yes, unintended consequences, now Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. So the king does this. Word gets to Daniel. What would you do? Here's what it says Daniel did. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. How did it affect Daniel? Not at all. He just kept on, kept, he kept on, kept it on. He just did what he was doing. He wasn't going to stop honoring God or praying to God. So they couldn't find anything to blackmail him about. They found another way of getting him in trouble. And I guess if you're going to get into trouble, you might as well get in trouble for doing something good. Think about it. How many of you honestly think you can avoid trouble in this life? You can't. But you can choose, oftentimes, if you're going to get into trouble for something good or trouble for something bad. Oh, I might as well do it because they're going to get mad at me anyway. Well, then we're choosing bad. But the Bible acknowledges this and says, no, if you're going to get in trouble, get in trouble for something good. If you get into trouble for doing something bad, not only do you get into human trouble, you get into God trouble. Because sin is sin and God's going to hold you accountable for it. But if you get into trouble for doing something good, man might bust you, but God's going to bless you. So obviously just do the math. It's better to get in trouble for doing something good. The Bible says exactly that. Let me read to you from uh, 1 Peter. For it is better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. In this life, you're going to suffer. But sometimes you get to choose if it's for a good cause or a bad cause. And by all means, don't be ashamed to suffer for a good cause. You realize Jesus was an ex-con? Jesus was arrested. He was imprisoned. What did he do wrong? Nothing. He was falsely imprisoned. But he's still an ex-con. Does that make him a bad guy? Does that mean he carries shame? No. Peter was an ex-con. He was arrested several times. Most of the apostles were all executed, capital punishment, or stoned. What did they do wrong? Nothing. Did they have any shame? No. Did they get in trouble? Oh, yeah. Big trouble. But they got in trouble for doing good. And in heaven, now they're saints. They're good people. They're honored for what they did. So while I'm working on my Daniel story, something grabbed a hold of me that it never had before. Now, like you, I've probably known the story of Daniel and the lion's den since I was knee-high to a lion. 
I've read it many times, even taught on it, I'm sure, but something grabbed me that had never grabbed me before. Now, you remember with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, worship this idol or we'll throw you into the fiery furnace. And they said, no, we'd rather die. Because the second commandment says, don't worship idols. Well, where in the Bible does it say you have to pray for 30 days or that you can't take a 30-day break? Nowhere. What struck me is they weren't asking Daniel to deny God. They weren't asking Daniel to worship an idol. All they said is you can't pray for 30 days to God. I'm like, okay, I'll take a vacation. No big deal. It's only 30 days. It's not like my whole life. It's only 30 days. Or Daniel could have done this. He could have got home, shut his windows, and prayed. And nobody would have been any the wiser. In fact, for us in today's culture, we pray privately all the time. Jesus said, go into your prayer closet. Don't let people know what you're praying about. Keep it between you and God. So I'm thinking, Daniel, this is an easy one. You can slip out of this. Just close your windows. They'll never know. No, Daniel decides not to do it. He decides to keep on praying publicly like he was. Why? I don't know. Obviously, he's a good man. He did the right thing. But it would have been so easy to slip out. And while I was thinking on that, and oh yeah, and wondering what makes me think it's okay to take a 30-day break when Daniel knew that it wasn't. <laughs> well, all that's going through my head. And I'm saying, hey, it's not such a big deal. There was another story in the Bible that when I read, I also said, so what's the big deal? Jesus went into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, to be tested for 40 days. And if you remember, during that time, he fasted. At the end of the fast, at the end of 40 days, Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, let me read it to you. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. Well, what's the big deal? He fasted for 40 days. Of course he's hungry. He's got the power to turn a rock into bread. Why not? What's the big deal? I don't know what the big deal is. But Jesus wasn't going to have anything to do with anything Satan said. <laughs> Maybe that's the big deal in and of itself. If Satan suggests it, it's a bad idea no matter what it is. Even if you're starving and he suggests you eat, don't do it. Because you know there's something, there's something rotten in anything he suggests. Two stories of men told to do something that's not such a big deal. One's even good, eat. And the others don't pray for 30 days, which isn't a good thing, but if it'll keep you alive. So here's what I concluded. And I'm sure you'll come up with better. But this is what I concluded. Jesus had determined to fast and to honor God. And he wasn't going to let the devil sidetrack him. Period. Daniel had decided to honor God by praying three times a day. And he wasn't going to let anybody tell him he wasn't going to let the devil sidetrack him. I'm honoring God and nothing's coming between me and God. Daniel. Jesus. Us? We let stuff come between us and God all the time, and we don't even care. In fact, we put it there. This was forced on Daniel. This was a temptation to Jesus. For us, it's like, oh, man, bed's so cozy this morning. Bed church, bed church. Really? Yeah, that's how we are. But wow, 
that's messed up when you think about it. When we're that easily distracted from honoring God? Yeah, I was going to go to church this morning, but you know, I haven't washed my car in two months. And then the, the game's on later and I need to do the laundry. Well, by all means, put the laundry and the game in the washed car in front of God. Because you're really going to hurt him. It doesn't hurt him. It hurts you. We don't understand. You know that old saying, don't cut off your nose to spite your face? We're the ones who get hurt when we separate ourselves from fellowship. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need the spiritual energy that comes from the word of God. We need the spiritual energy that comes from one another. How many of you have ever been depressed or discouraged? Down in the dumps. And then you got to church and you went home feeling better. Can I see your hands? Wow, almost everybody's hands. I was scared asking that question, honestly. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have been. So, knowing that, okay? Same question, a little different. How many of you have ever been distressed, discouraged, or down in the dumps, and therefore chose not to go to church? Well, not as many hands, but still several. We know that church makes us feel better, and yet we don't come when we need to feel better. And that's just what we're aware of, not to mention our daily need. And then we're talking about our daily need, like I come here for me. I come here for you, and for you, and for you. Why do you come here? It shouldn't be for you. As a pastor, I hear this a lot. Oh, I don't go to that church anymore because I, I don't get fed there anymore. Or my needs aren't met there anymore. That's not altogether a bad thing. But if that's the only reason you stop going to that church, there might be some soul searching to do. I remember somebody a while back was telling me, you know, church just isn't doing it for me anymore. And I said, what do you do for the church? Well, nothing. I, I, go, I go to this study and I go to that study. Great. So you're sucking in the studies. What are you doing? Well, nothing. I said, serve. Start serving other people. It's not just about you. And he shook his head and said, yeah, you're right. I could see that. But he didn't. And a couple of months later, he left the church. I wasn't surprised to see him go. There's only so much we can do for ourselves. I've, I shared this illustration with you for, in the past, and I got it from another pastor. Sea of Galilee, Israel's freshwater lake. It's beautiful. And by Israel's standards, it's huge. By our standards, not so much. But it's, it's cool. It's got fish in it, and it, it produces fresh water for the farms all in the area. And about a third of Israel's water comes from that one lake, the Sea of Galilee. The headwaters of the Jordan River come into the Sea of Galilee. Fresh, beautiful water. And that water goes south down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. The same water that feeds the Sea of Galilee is the same water that feeds the Dead Sea. So why is one alive and life-giving and why is the other one dead? I can tell you this, the water that goes into the Sea of Galilee comes out of the Sea of Galilee. The water that goes into the Dead Sea stays there. It sucks it in but never gives it out. It receives but doesn't give. It takes but doesn't give. And it stagnates and it rots. And that's kind of a parallel for when we take in and take in and take in, but we don't give. So, what is it that you're determined to do to honor God? Decide what that is and don't let the devil distract you. So the king gave the order 
And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Well, I already told you, the king loved Daniel, wanted to make him his number two man. He was not pleased to throw him into the lion's den, but he had to. Because when the king of Persia made a law, it was law. Even he didn't have the authority to undo his own law. So he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. He couldn't sleep that night. He told Daniel, this God you're praying to, maybe he'll keep you alive? Let's hope so. So he's up all night. Crack of dawn, he sped off to the lion's den to see if by any chance Daniel was still alive. I mean, what are the odds, right? No way. But who knows? He was praying. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue from the lions? What an opportunity for a testimony right here. You know, there's a lot of people who've been martyred and God didn't save them. And there's a lot of people who've been threatened and God did save. Why does God save some and not the other? I can't always, I don't know, but I do know in almost every instance when somebody is delivered miraculously, it's before a lot of people and God has given great honor and testimony and witness because of it. So here we have the king of the mightiest empire on the planet who's forced to throw in his Jewish advisor into the lion's den wondering if his God is any different than his God. Can this guy's God help? So he yells out, wondering what's going to happen. I wonder how long between his question and the answer, that major moment of divine suspense, one heartbeat maybe, two heartbeats, king's listening, and then he hears, O king, live forever! Can you imagine at that moment how the king felt? How his advisors felt? How the guys felt who threw him in there? How the angels felt in heaven? What a moment! What a climax! O king, live forever! My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Wow. This is an amazing story. Well, these guys conspired against Daniel to have him executed through means of devouring by lions. They tricked the king and they went behind Daniel's back. Well, the king knew they did this to him. Now they pulled Daniel out, and the king said, now throw them in. The Bible says they didn't even hit the ground before they were torn to pieces. Those lions were hungry, man. They went all night without dinner. <laughs> it's time for some breakfast. <laughs> it's interesting how they got the very punishment they wanted Daniel to have. You'll see that in the Bible a lot. When people sin a certain way, their judgment is that type of sin poured on them. For example, um, children of Israel kept worshiping idols. So God says, you want idols? You like idols? Here, have some idols. And he had them deported to where they had to worship idols, and they hated it. Um, they were whining about not having enough food after leaving the promised land because God was giving them manna. 
And we want meat, we want meat, we want meat. You want some meat? Here, have some meat. And God rained birds down on them until they were sick of it. Throughout the Bible, time and again, people are often judged with what they want to see done to others. All right, so three things I'd like to send you home with this morning. Number one, beware of the law of unintended consequences. Don't think your sin, that you know what's going to happen because you sin. Oh, I can live with that consequence. You don't know what consequences are coming. I can just tell you this, they'll be bad, and you don't know what they're going to be. Don't risk it. Your sin can end up destroying other people. Do you know how many children's lives are destroyed by the sin of one of their parents? is infidelity. The marriage breaks up. The children become, go into despair. Their whole lives are ruined. Oh, but what about the in-laws? What about the cousins? Like I've got, well, we all got. People who divorce, then are we supposed to still be friends with them? We had Thanksgiving with them for 20 years, but now we can't because you're... Ah! Unintended consequences. No matter what it is. You know, who knows what your unintended consequences might result in. So just beware of the law of unintended consequences. Number two, uh, trust God. Just like Daniel did. Even if you have to suffer. In this instance, Daniel didn't suffer. But many other, we do. And the Bible says you're going to suffer in life. It's part of life. But suffer for doing good instead of for doing bad. You'll take that to heaven with you. So the law of unintended consequences, trust God. And the third one, don't let the devil dictate your spirituality. Sure, it was obvious with Jesus he was actually being tempted by Satan right there in his face. What is it for you that's tempting you? Maybe it's much more subtle than that. What have you committed in your heart to honor God with? Don't allow Satan to sidetrack you. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to the things that do sidetrack us from the obstacles that the flesh throw in our way or Satan might throw in our way, and that you would show us where we're being less than 100% with you. Help us to honor you, even as Daniel did, where he would be willing to risk his life rather than being told by Satan to stop praying for 30 days. Lord, to me, that's not such a big deal. It just shows me how far I am from the level that Daniel was. And so I pray for the rest of us. Bring us up to Daniel's level. And Jesus, who was starving and yet refused to turn a stone into bread, maybe just because it came from the suggestion of the evil one, I don't know. Help us to be as faithful as Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.